So a Revelation song isn't just a good song, it actually is a great song introducing our new series. We're going to spend eight weeks counting today in the book of Revelation. More on that later. Uh, you've got the opportunity two weeks from today to meet a most remarkable woman. Uh, you're, you, we've got a video of her, and it struck me during the last service. Um, she, she has a bit of an accent, and no, it isn't like Spicer or Howick. She's from South, uh, South Africa. But she's a missionary, and she has been called by God to do mission work in parts of the world that we read about, and we say, boy, am I glad that God didn't send me there. But God sent her, and she is going to be here next Sunday, and you have got the opportunity to hear not just about a fascinating life, but an incredible call that God has put on her. So uh, we're going to introduce, introduce you to her by video and then another word or two following the video. In 2014, I watched as the Islamic State aggressively attacked the villages of the Nineveh Plains. And knowing how the persecution had looked like over the past few years, I watched with horror and decided that I needed to get up and do something about it. As the Islamic State attacked the different villages and towns in this area, they came in and said to the Christian community, you have three options. You can convert, you can pay a tax, or you can leave or die. They literally got in their cars and they had to immediately pack whatever they could. And even then, many did not survive. Many were taken, many were kidnapped, and many of the women and children who they managed to capture were sold into sexual slavery to multiple jihadis that fought for the Islamic State. That's the reality of the situation in the Middle East and it's the reality of why it's a genocide. As a result of the constant persecution, we're looking at figures of in the year 2000 that there was approximately 1.5 million Christians in this area of the world in Iraq. And now we estimate that there's less than 200,000. I believe the call is to stand, to stand with them and to support them in every way that we can, prayerfully, but also practically. And this is what Shaitan does. Many of the families want to return, but they need that spark of hope, and that's what we're plowing into here. We are standing with the families and giving them hope, build their businesses, and build this community again, and stand proudly as Christians in Iraq. The Bible talks about if one part suffers, we all suffer. And Jesus said, they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If you believe that this is something that you can support, then donate and give to projects like these that really make a difference in the lives of families.
So she will be here two weeks from today. You do not want to miss it. Uh, put it on your calendar. Invite your friends. We're going to let other people know that she's coming to town. First time that she will have been in this area. Uh, we're hoping that we can get some time with her Sunday evening as well, and she can do another uh, time where she teaches and helps us understand the mission and the ministry that she's called to. With that, would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, Charmaine works in a tough part of the world. Uh, it just... There's religious issues and political issues and economic issues, and um, she is just such a champion for Jesus, for those people. Um, God, the, the study we're about to look at in Revelation, an awful lot of that happens in that same part of the world, and it's very foreign to us. It's so, so unlike the world that we live in. It's so easy sometimes to be a Christian here in America. So easy that we let other things take priority that should go to you, God. We come up with all kinds of other things we would rather do when what we should be doing is worshiping and honoring and glorifying you. And so thank you for the chance to hear from someone who is very much in the front lines out there doing your work. God, I pray as we begin this series and this study on the book of Revelation, it's a tough one. Uh, Revelation isn't easy to understand. I pray that, God, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears, that we would be ready for whatever it is that you have for us. God, we know that uh, none of us are here by accident. We're all here because you make divine appointments with your people. And so, God, just pray that we're here and ready to to hear and to accept what it is you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, that being said, we need to talk about the sweater for a moment. It is a birthday present from my wife. Yes, there are matching socks. Yes, that is a Bigfoot. You don't know that he doesn't exist. There was more than a few questions between the service, and I thought, okay, I'm going to have a good answer. Here's the deal. I've never seen an Adam either, but I know those are real. So Bigfoot could be out there. Asta, our daughter, was home when I got the sweater, and she said, Dad, that's really cool, but do not, do not wear that for church. <laughs> well, if there is Bigfoot, Asta, God made him, right? I wore it for church. So thank you, Deidre. All right, I get asked all the time if we can study the book of Revelation. And I I kind of understand that because it's just one that churches don't dive into, and the churches that do seem never to get out of it. But I get asked a lot. It's an interesting request. It's an interesting request because I've probably had that 50 times in the 12 years that we've been a church, if not more. But I've never once been asked, can we do a deep dive into the book of Leviticus? Can we take a look at Numbers and Deuteronomy between now and Christmas? Nobody ever asks those questions. Revelation is this one that's got intrigue and confusion, and and if you've ever tried to read it, it's frustrating. I usually ask people, they say, can we study Revelation? And my question is, have you read it? And most often the answer is, well, I tried, but I quit. And so the idea of just getting through it is, is a little bit daunting. I suppose it makes sense to want to study Revelation when we hear so much talk around us about end times. The last days, surely this is it. The signs are all lining up. And we've got people that are, that are pulling all of these things together saying, surely this is the end of everything. The book of Revelation is about end times. That is true. That is a part of what it talks about, but it's so much more than that. In fact, for 2,000 years, every single generation of Christians that has existed has believed that they were living in the last days. For 2,000 years, because John says, we're going to look at it in a little bit, John says, for the day is near. It must be coming soon. And, and for 2,000 years, we've lined up the signs, we've lined up the meanings, and, and certainly this is the promised last days. Well, it makes sense then, if that's been the case for 2,000 years, that we'd hear that from everyone today. But the book of Revelation, it's, it's an interesting one. 
It's not easy to read. It's not easy to understand. It certainly isn't easy to prepare messages about. It's obscure. The language is different. It's challenging. It's confusing. And at first read, it can appear to be something so dissimilar to the rest of the Bible that we wonder why in the world would we ever read it. And yet the book of Revelation is actually really, really simple at its heart. The book of Revelation is nothing more than the revealing of Jesus Christ. Much of Revelation focuses on the second coming of Jesus, and along with the second coming of Jesus is the divine judgment that will come for all human beings. There's verses about earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars, fears of wars, terrible diseases, epidemics. There's some of the signs that Jesus is about to return. But one of the things that Revelation makes clear is that when Jesus returns, there will be judgment. There will be judgment for every human being who's ever lived. 1 Peter 4.17 says the judgment begins with the church. 1 Peter 4, chapter 4, verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. That's the church. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If we're going to do anything at all to understand the book of Revelation, we have to come to terms with the fact that God is a loving God, God is a righteous God, and God is just. What that means is that for all of us, every single one of us who are living as sinners, we will be judged for our sins. The book of Revelation says that unbelieving people of the world are going to be judged too, and that all of us are going to be found guilty of our sin. Each one of us is going to be found guilty of our own personal rebellion against God, our Creator. Everybody, everyone, you and I. Part of that great divine judgment includes the part of the book of Revelation which culminates in the second coming of Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Savior and Redeemer. And Jesus alone is the only hope that we have to stand through the events of the book of Revelation and to be welcomed into God's eternal glory in heaven. Jesus is our only hope. Jesus, as our Lord and Savior, is the only thing that we'll have to stand on. We're not going to be able to stand on our record of good deeds or of generous giving or treating people better than your neighbor did. None of that is going to matter. What's going to matter is what is your personal relationship to Jesus, God's only Son. And so John writes this letter that we know as the book of Revelation to help us prepare and to be ready for judgment. John records this vision, and he makes it clear that it's a vision. He talks about how it happened, and it doesn't completely make sense. But in the beginning of it, there are seven letters to seven churches that are all in what is now modern Turkey. Letting those churches know that God is watching, God is paying attention, And God knows them for who they are, for how they live, and for what they believe, and the way that they love the people around them. We're going to study those seven letters. Because it's important as individuals that we know Jesus as our Savior. It's also important that we as a church are functioning the way God calls churches to function. But actually, this journey of ours, it began a long time ago. We started out studying the fruit of the Spirit, the characteristics of a believer that is filled with the Holy Spirit, that the world sees God through us. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And then we started talking about the full armor of God, the ways that God allows us to be protected from the things of the world and the schemes of the devil. And so just like we live in the Spirit, excuse me, 
I swallowed wrong there. Just like we live in the fruit of the Spirit, we have to make the choice to put on the full armor of God. Well, when we look at these seven letters, we have to make the decision to choose to see ourselves in the letters where there is encouragement and where it is that they're being challenged. See, here's the deal. They're the scriptural record of what happens to the churches and the people in them when they get their relationship right with God and when they get their relationship wrong with God. Because both happen in these seven letters. They're an encouragement to us, but they're also a caution, a warning that we just don't go headlong doing what we want to do, but that we should be wise and pay attention to what God's looking for. So if you've got your Bibles, we're starting in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. (coughs) Book of Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ right there in the very beginning says kind of everything we need to know. It's the what and the who. The revelation is the revealing of who of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation, the making known, the showing, the disclosure in writing of the truths of heaven and the truths of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This book which fascinates and frustrates and frightens and confuses and confounds is really pretty simple at its heart. It's about Jesus. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. John says so in the beginning. The book of Revelation is just like every other book of the Bible. It all points to Jesus. It's there to reveal to us another bit of the truth of who Jesus is. An interesting side note to the book of Revelation is that the book of Revelation, thank you, I'll take that right now if you don't mind. (laughs) It's the sweater. I know it's the sweater causing that. Another interesting side note to the book of Revelation is the word revelation, where we get the title to the book. This one doesn't open. There we go. We get the title of the book of Revelation. doesn't occur again once. Not one time. It happens in that first verse, and then it's gone. The book refers to itself and to the writing in it through the rest of the, the, rest of the book, all the way through to the end, is a prophecy. So we've got to talk about a prophecy. What is a prophecy and what isn't? A prophecy is not a guess. A prophecy is not a prediction. A prophecy isn't a possibility. A prophecy is not a maybe this will happen. A prophecy, when it's in the the context of Scripture and it comes from God, a prophecy is very simply a promise that we have yet to see fulfilled on earth. A prophecy isn't a maybe, it's a definite. It will become a reality, but in its prophetic form, it is a written word from God. And that's what the book of Revelation is. Goes on and says, which God gave him, gave to John, to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. Who are his servants? Well, God's servants are you and I, anyone who calls ourselves a Christian. Anyone who says that Jesus is our Lord and Savior and has given our lives to serve and live for him. That's who it is. The book of Revelation is written so that we might be shown the things that must soon take place. Remember, for 2,000 years, Christians have assumed that they were the ones, they were the ones living in the last days. People have thought that they were immediately on the verge of Jesus' return. Yet in Matthew 24, it says this. Concerning that day and hour, no one knows. This is about Jesus' return. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. We look forward to Jesus' return, but Jesus himself doesn't know the day he's coming back. And so when people say, Jesus is going to return on this date at this hour, they're making it up. It's not a prophecy. It's ridiculousness. Jesus himself doesn't know. So we patiently wait for Jesus' return, knowing that we can read and study the signs, but the Bible is clear. We're just not going to know ahead of time. That's why it's so important to be prepared to meet Jesus. 
You can know all about the signs, all about the events. You can be absolutely certain that you know that the day of judgment is just around the corner. But if you don't know Jesus as your own personal Lord and Savior, if you haven't given your life to Him, all of that study is a waste. Because on that day, when God asks Jesus, do you know this one? And Jesus' answer is no, you just lost your last chance. Remember, on that day of judgment, Jesus is our only hope. So I haven't done a lengthy series on the book of Revelation. To know every detail of the book of Revelation, but not to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, does not prepare you to meet Him. You can study every word, every verse, every idea, every bit of imagery in the book of Revelation and understand all of it. But if you don't know Jesus, it doesn't matter. My call in ministry, kind of like what the Bible says about Paul, is to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. My job is to tell you about who Jesus is so that you can make a knowledgeable decision for yourself about what you believe about Him as your Lord and Savior. Other people have been called to spend their entire careers talking about end times. Some of them, we, we call them uh, apocalyptic preachers or last day preachers or, or revelation preachers. That just isn't what God has called me to. God, God hasn't called me to teach about those events. God has called me to teach you about Jesus. I realize that's not always what people want to hear, but it's what I know to be true. It's a lot like reading about this great party that happened and being able to find out about the people and the food and the fun and everything else when you never even had a chance to meet the host to get the invitation. We can talk about all the events of the last days of divine judgment and how to be prepared, but if you personally aren't prepared to meet Jesus, that day is not just going to come as a surprise. It's going to come for you as a tragedy goes on, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. The Bible doesn't tell us the name of this angel. Occasionally the Bible does, but in most cases it doesn't. But this angel was sent by God to John, and the John is not John the Baptist. This is John the disciple, okay? And John the disciple, we're going to tell you in a little bit where he was living, but John recorded this vision for us. And John bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. John is just giving a written testimony of what this vision was so that we could understand it. Then he goes on in verse 3, and there's three blessings for us to read Revelation. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. That's why Revelation needs to be read and it needs to be lived. That's why we're going to study this section about the seven churches. It says the time is near. For 2,000 years we believe that. But you know, for Christians who are living under persecution or in severe trials or pain, the kind of world that Charmaine is working in, they cling to these words with the hope that maybe today is the day that Jesus returns. Maybe today is the day that all this worldly stuff ends and we can get on to our eternity in heaven. But for those of us that are still here, there's three blessings in verse 3 that we can get from studying this. So then it goes on in verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. He's introducing this section that we're going to study the next seven weeks then, these seven churches. i got a couple of maps here. One of them shows Paul's missionary journeys. So if you go to the bottom right, see all the lines, the colored lines go to one point. That's Jerusalem in Israel. And then Paul took off over this whole part of the world, through the Mediterranean, up into what's called Asia Minor and up into Europe. Asia Minor is what the Bible refers to this area. But if you go to the second slide, Turkey, we understand, which is straight north of Israel, these are the seven churches. These are the seven churches that we're going to read and study. 
Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before His throne. One of the things that there's a lot of in the book of Revelation is numbers. There's imagery and there's numbers, and we have to understand they're tied to other parts of Scripture in order to be able to make sense of them. Seven is understood as a very holy number, and so seven appears a lot. This is basically John's greeting. It's common in New Testament letters, and he's referring to God who always has been and who always will be. Verse 5, and from Jesus Christ. It's not only from John to us as a, as a written record of the prophecy, but it's a letter from Jesus. This introduction makes it clear the greeting is also from the one whom the book is written about. It is about the revelation of Jesus, and Jesus is revealing himself. It's Jesus telling us about him. Who is, John says, the faithful witness? The firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, and to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. That is quite a description of Jesus. That comes from God through this angel, but also from Jesus himself. Then in verse 6 it says, It made us a kingdom. Priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Back in the, the beginning of the pandemic, it was really weird because we'd come on Sunday morning and there would be a few people in worship team and me and some tech people, and this room was completely empty. And it struck me that somehow or another we've got to hold on to this feeling that we have as family and as community. And it just kind of fell out of my mouth. I didn't plan it. I just started saying, and you are the church. You are the Open Door Christian Church. Talking to a bunch of people who I hope are watching online, but we couldn't see. And yet the reality is, right here, that's what God's talking about. God made us a kingdom. God made us a church. This is part of God's plan for us. It's also a clue because it says in verse 7, Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes on earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. It's a clue that Jesus is going to descend in his second coming from the clouds. You've maybe seen uh, paintings or portraits of that. Jesus dressed in white, descending from the clouds, and there's light all around him. That's not some artist's made-up version. It's what's said right here in the book of Revelation. But then it's interesting. It says everyone will see him. Everyone around the world is going to see him. Even those who pierced him, those who caused Jesus' crucifixion and said, no, you're not the Son of God. We don't know who you think you are, but you're not him. They're going to see him as well. What this means is whether you believe in Jesus or whether you spent this life choosing to deny Jesus completely, you're going to see him for who he is. Every single one of us is going to be forced to acknowledge that Jesus is real and that he's alive. John says all tribes will wail on account of him. It means every people group, every nationality, every language, every country, every religion will see him and wail. We hear in our country all the time, there's a million ways to heaven. There's a whole lot of different ways. You don't have to go through Jesus. You can get there otherwise. God wants everyone to go to heaven. That's true. He makes that statement, but that doesn't mean everybody's going to. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to be disappointed when they find out that everything they base their life and their forever on is wrong. And Revelation says they're going to wail. Why will they wail? Because they'll realize in that moment that they have lived their entire life for a lie. That Jesus, that they said isn't real, is in fact very real. Scripture is true and that he's alive. The Bible goes on and says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, including the people who killed him. So why does the open door exist? Because time is short. If you don't know Jesus, your time is short. 
We don't know when Jesus is going to return, but God's promised that He will. It's going to be a surprise to every one of us the day that He arrives. But some of us are going to find ourselves unprepared. Some of us are going to say, well, I'm going to make a decision about Him later. I'm not really sure what I believe. I'm not ready to go all in on that yet. And then that moment is going to come and it's going to be too late. So why do we exist to tell you about Jesus, to give you everything that we can possibly put in front of you to help you make a good decision about who He is to you? We spend time every single Sunday morning during this part of our service preparing you to meet Jesus face to face. Because the Bible promises that day is coming. Verse 8, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. God basically saying that I'm the beginning and the end. I was there before and I'll be there long after. He's existed forever and He will exist forever. Verse 9, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John is on Patmos because he's been persecuted for his faith. He didn't know when to shut up. Domitian, the Roman emperor, emperor, told everybody, you've got to be quiet, kind of like what you heard in the video. You've got to be quiet or we're going to do away with you. Well, the way that they chose to do away with John was to exile him to the island of Patmos where he couldn't get away from because he refused to be silent even when he was told that he had to be. So they sent John to Patmos and John's living his own trial. When he talks about tribulation and patient endurance, he's talking about the way that he's being challenged to live. But what's cool is when you read John... He's like Paul. Paul never considered being in prison a problem. He never considered it a negative. He saw it as an opportunity. So John is exiled for the faith, exiled for preaching about Jesus. And so what does he do in the midst of his punishment? He sees it as a greater opportunity to live out and share his faith. And the book of Revelation is part of that life. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. That's a confusing statement. Some scholars say, well, there was physically somehow John went somewhere else. But in the Spirit really implies that he's being able to see this vision or this this prophecy through the Holy Spirit in a very real way. I, I imagine it's something like the one that Peter saw when that sheet or the sail came down in that vision and he saw that. And he says, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. He uses the same description in chapter 4, verse 1. That the voice he heard, which we can understand to be the voice of God, sounds like a loud trumpet. Maybe you've heard the voice of God. I never have. I know that God has made things clear to me. But when I have heard people who say, yeah, I heard God's voice, my question is, what did God sound like? I've never had someone say, well, God's voice sounds like. I've never heard that. There's a knowing that we have. Adam and Eve, they heard the voice of God all the way back in the Garden of Eden. And when they heard the voice of God after they'd sinned, they ran and hid. But it's kind of cool because John says, the voice of God sounds like a trumpet. And I have to wonder, when you think that all creation came into existence, the universe and everything that's out there came into existence because God spoke. God spoke and everything happened. And I have to imagine that voice probably sounded an awful lot like a trumpet. And once again, I just... Stand back and think, God, you are so awesome. The best that John can do is to describe the voice of God as a voice like a trumpet. Verse 11 saying, here's what the voice said, Write down, or write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, 
to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. That's the seven churches that we're going to study over the next seven weeks. There's some things that are kind of interesting because there's similarities and differences. Cindy's got something in back if you want to grab one on your way out. She found a chart. It lists all of the churches, and on the bottom it's our church. That's, that's your church on the bottom. And it talks about strengths, weaknesses, what they need to do, and to the one who overcomes. Because there's some similarities. All of the churches are given a different description of Jesus just for them. All of them have a little bit of a different understanding that's written. All of them, with the exception of Laodicea, which is the last one, are given compliments on their community or their ministry. Five of them are given a rebuke or a scolding. All seven are given a way to correct their troubles and make themselves stronger. Five are told of the consequences to come if they don't change their actions or beliefs. And then each one of the seven is given a promise for anyone who holds fast to the faith and faithfully endures to the end. That's why it's worth studying. All seven of them are given a promise to the one who faithfully endures to the end. You want to be that kind of Christian. I want to be that kind of Christian. We want to be that kind of church. As we move forward then, we're going to continue to do and to build on what got us here. The fruit of the Spirit. We're going to continue to live in the fruit of the Spirit, showing those God characteristics to the world around us. We're going to continue to put on the full armor of God to prepare us for whatever it is that the enemy of God might throw against us. And we're going to live by heeding the words that John has written for us to hear and to know and to follow. And if we do that, John says, there's going to be blessings for us. There's going to be knowledge because we're going to understand how to live as better Christians and servants of Jesus. And it's going to help us grow and be stronger as a church. Revelation's tough, but this is going to be a fun and interesting and an enlightening journey. But maybe you're still on the sidelines. Maybe you're one of those people that says, you know what, I'm willing to sit in church. I'm willing to hear about Jesus. I'm just not sure I'm willing to believe in him. Not sure willing to trust. I'm sure not going to give my life to him. If that's true of you, thank you for being here. Thank you for taking the time to hear what we believe and why. But if that's you, you know, the thing is, this journey is, is going to be different because the Bible says that day of judgment is going to basically be faced by us in one of two ways. One is going to be a celebration and one is not. If you're not sure what you believe about Jesus, please come back and hear more. If you know Jesus as your Savior, but you've got friends or people you work with who don't, invite them to come back and hear more. Because what we want to do is we want to learn to live in the fruit of the Spirit. We want to learn what it means to put on the full armor of God to be prepared for the world that we live in. And then we're going to read and study these seven different churches, the strengths and the weaknesses that God found in all of them. And, and we're going to use that as an encouragement we're going to use it as a correction, and we're going to even receive the warning if there's a warning for us. Seven churches, seven letters to study and to grow, to become better Christians, better followers of Jesus, and a stronger church. That seems to me like a really good way to invest the next seven weeks. I really, really hope you'll continue to join us. Let's pray. God, thank you for the book of Revelation. It is confusing. It is not easy to read. Even this simple introduction that we have, it's tough stuff because it's heavy. There's a lot there, and there's supposed to be. It's heavy, God, because it talks about the end of everything that we know. It talks about the world that we live in and everything we've come to rely on. 
And while our world is, seems to be getting more crazy and changing every day, it's nothing like what's going to happen when Jesus comes again. God, it's going to fulfill the prophecies that you share with us in the book of Revelation. For some people, it is going to be the beginning of their eternity in heaven with you. But for others, it's going to be the beginning of their eternity to the place that they chose, which is a place apart from you, away from hope and light, life and love. God, I pray that our study as we look at these seven churches, God, I pray that you would bless us like it says in verse 3, that you would bless us for hearing, for reading, for studying and for knowing. God, I pray that you would help us individually and you would help us as a church family. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for this prophecy that you shared with John. And thank you for Jesus, who indeed, when it comes to the end, truly is our only hope. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.